0: Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts:
1: Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 143, recorded on November 10th, 2021. It's chaos in the Cloud Pod studio. Good evening, Jonathan and Peter.
2: Good evening. Hey, Justin.
1: Yeah, we're going old school tonight. We don't have Ryan, so it's uh, it's back to the roots, back when we we launched, which we're you know, we're getting close to uh, I think our third anniversary, correct? Because it, it started right after reInvent. Yep. And we're almost at reInvent once again. Wow. Wow. So, uh, could you imagine we'd be doing this three years later?
0: <laughs> Only three years. I huh? thought I'd lost <laughs> I thought I'd last three episodes.
1: <laughs> we we thought we we thought that we we are shocked you show up every week. So <laughs> <laughs> uh well, you know, it's been fun though. So you know it's uh you know, nothing we're gonna do anything crazy about because We'll Say that for 200 episodes, but we'll do a blog post again. But uh, you know, it's always nice to cross those uh, birthday milestones when you're recording a weekly podcast. So. All right, well, it is not a busy week, which is nice because there's only three of us, which means the show will be sort of short for all of our listeners, <laughs> which is always nice because uh, we've had a couple of mammoth shows in the last few weeks, just you know, lengthy, girthy episodes, which are which are fine, but short ones are good too. Uh, Well, first up is you can simplify your CI-CD configuration for AWS serverless applications and your favorite CI-CD systems uh, all now generally available. This is because the AWS SAMs pipeline is a new feature of the AWS SAM CLI that gives you access to benefits of CI-CD in just minutes. The AWS SAM pipeline comes with a set of default pipeline templates for popular CI-CD systems such as CloudBeast Jenkins, GitLab CI-CD, GitHub Actions, Bitbucket Pipelines, and AWS CodeBuild Pipeline. Uh, that follows the AWS deployment best practices for serverless. Uh, creating pipelines that can deploy software safely and follow an organization's governance requirement is a complex and time-consuming task that must be performed for each new app. Uh, for example, pipelines have to distribute deployment artifacts across multiple accounts and regions ensure that deployments cannot make unsafe infrastructure changes, prevent unauthorized source from injecting code, and following all the other great uh, development processes. This is a great way to get started with CICD and uh, serverless with the SAM project. Do check this out.
2: I'm glad they're also supporting the uh, uh, other platforms other than Code Build and Code Pipeline.
1: That's very helpful. I mean, no one uses those, <laughs> so it, it is very really helpful.
0: <laughs> it's less of simplify configuration than actually, you know, have a configuration. I think. Uh, yeah, I
1: mean, I mean, many companies don't even have anything yeah. for serverless. So yeah, so you know, yeah, not only simplify, but give me something that works. Yep.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think this has been a major criticism of of serverless in general, even going back. To the beginning of Lambda is how am I supposed to test this locally? And then you know, then we get Sam and the serverless framework, and now we can test it locally. But how am I supposed to integrate this with the rest of our SDLC processes? And so, something like this is um, it's it's awesome. I, I kind of I kind of hope that going forward, that this is at the front of everyone's minds.
1: As don't think, it's interrupted by children. <laughs> it is in the front of my mind of doing all things with Sam, but. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's really great. Uh, how much do you, do you guys see Sam out there these days, Peter? Uh, well, I don't have any customers using it right now. I'll tell you that right
2: now. But um, I think that as, as you know, people have such investments in their existing deployment pipeline systems that as we get new customers and you get new people starting from scratch, I'm sure we'll see uh, that those products sort of pick up.
1: Yeah, it was there's an interesting uh, blog post or uh, newsletter. that some um, prolific uh, AWS blogger talks about all the time he was saying that you know the serverless has not really had its moment to shine and that it's you know most companies have tried it have failed and have bailed out of it which you know there have definitely been some some big companies who I think have gone into it with the wrong assumptions that have failed but I think there's a lot of startups that have actually been relatively successful yeah. with it so I was not I'm not entirely sure about that newsletter but uh you know I don't know if I agree with his pre his preference but uh I think uh, it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I
2: just think it's some people when they're looking at, okay, we're going to make this commitment to a different architecture. At that point in time, they, you know, they looked at serverless versus containerized apps, and most companies went the containerized apps route.
0: But that might change in the next wave. We'll see. How different is it for most engineering teams, though, in most companies? I mean if if infrastructure teams is still a thing and they run they they run the servers and they patch the servers and they do deployments and sre does deployments how different is it for an engineering team to to write a serverless app than it is to write any other app right now is is it significantly different is it is it just more about being event driven or I, I don't know i don't i don't see the i don't see the huge difference in in work that goes into writing a serverless app personally.
2: I agree. I don't think there's a huge difference. I just think that people pick a standard architecture. And over the last three years, most have you know, picked as a platform and a deployment methodology containerization over serverless framework.
1: All right. Well, let's move on to fault injections. Everyone likes good fault injection, especially with their turkeys coming up soon. <laughs> just inject those faults right into the turkey. Uh, And now it supports Amazon CloudWatch Alarms and AWS Systems Manager Automation Runbooks, uh, which is one of those things like, you know, so you gave me a tool that breaks things and the automation that I would have detected it and then also remediated it with, you actually didn't support, which isn't super great. So I do like, I'm I'm super glad to see this is uh, now arriving. Uh, you can now create and run Fizz experiments uh, that check the state of Amazon CloudWatch alarms and run the SSM automation. You can inject I.O., network black holes, and packet loss faults into your Amazon EC2 instances using a pre-configured SSM agent document. And because it can be difficult to predict how applications will respond to stress under real-world conditions, whether in testing or production, integrating alarm checks and automated remotes into your Fizz experiments can help you gain more confidence with injecting disruptive events such as network problems uh, and all the others. So, uh, nice integration. Glad to see it. Uh, seems like it was missing, David, yep. I think.
0: Kind of interesting that these faults are actually being simulated on the host themselves rather than in the platform. You know, SSM jobs that, that make changes to IP tables or run stress tests on CPU or just allocate a bunch of memory to to uh, simulate memory pressure. It's in, I find it interesting that there's so much is being done on the host rather than at the platform. Um,
1: well, I mean, considering in my experience, every time a developer has told me Amazon's broken, and it hasn't been, <laughs> It might be the right choice to go there. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, a the few times when Amazon is broken, it's broken horrendously badly, uh, typically with the portal down and the console and all those other things. And so uh, everyone was suffering, and then you just get to you know, kind of hide with everyone else who's down at the same time you are. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, majority of the time, I don't think Amazon services have as much problem as long as they're working. Uh, but when they break, they break spectacularly. But uh, a lot of the faults are really application development faults uh, in the code itself.
0: Yeah, I had an interesting problem today where I didn't detect um, my health check failed. Well, I actually didn't fail. That's the problem. <laughs> oh. Instance in instance <laughs> down. I, I, I checked so many different things for the health check. It's incredibly smart, completely missed one, very obvious thing, and uh didn't fail over. So, yeah, it's, uh, some, some, something like fears would be very, very useful, I think.
1: When you think about failures and health checks, you know, you think about all the... You know, all the complex ways your app can fail. You, you do sometimes always miss the simple ones. Like it's just like, oh yeah, just a basic thing. Because <laughs> you're 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 not thinking that the basic thing's gonna fail. You're thinking that something more complicated is <laughs> gonna fail. So you always over engineer those things.
0: Disk space. Always yeah, disc space. Yeah. I
1: know, I know, Yeah. I know
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had performance testing done and it filled up the disk faster than the log rotate could actually rotate it back out again. Uh that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, if you uh, happen to have an app like Jonathan's that, you know, runs in a container, uh, potentially a Windows container, um, and you want to now jump into the Windows container runtime to actually see what's happening inside your container uh, with ECS, you can now do that with the new AWS ECS exec for your Windows containers. This came out for Linux a while back, uh, but now supports all of your Windows needs. Allowing customers running Windows containers to now execute commands or get information directly from the container shell of a running container. Uh, The blog post goes on to detail how to make all this happen magically, Uh, but it's relatively straightforward if you're familiar with docker exact command, Um, although there are some IAM policies required and some additional little uh, bit of ECS command work you have to do. But uh, overall, it's pretty easy to do, Uh, a great way to troubleshoot, something I recommend for your development environment, maybe not your prod environment, at least uh, not for anybody but SRE.
0: Is there a start button? Not anymore. (laughs) <laughs> they used to be. We <laughs> literally used to have to RDP into a container instance; it was insane. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it kind of flies in the face of Docker, which was intended to be a single process running in an isolated environment. And now, effectively, Windows Docker containers—I mean, they're basically just little VMs. Right? I don't see the distinction between. There's no difference. I mean, they're there's massive. no
1: difference. Yeah, they're they're, they're just super massive and and complicated to deal with, but yeah.
0: Yeah, people, people really want
1: them. I, I wish Microsoft would make them more like Linux ones, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they make sense in the aspect of, okay, everyone's committing to tools like Kubernetes or whatever they're using for a container scheduler, and then they want all their infrastructure running that way, and someone's got Windows workloads. It's like, what do we do? Well, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just needs to run on the platform so we don't have to run two different um, operating models. I think that's the real benefit. It's not that they run more efficiently.
0: Wonder if you can play Minesweeper in a container? i got to try
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> can you play the pinball? Can you play the pinball exactly.
1: game? <laughs> Minesweeper. That was a great game. God, I, I
0: haven't that. played that for a very long time.
1: <laughs> what happens when, you know, if you're, on the, you're playing Solitaire, and then you know, when you play the Solitaire, then you win, the cards like, fall out of the screen? What happens in a container? Do they just fall out of the container? No, we don't know. There's no way to know. <laughs> so many questions to test. All right. Well, uh, if you are Canadian and you are upset about not having a second region in Amazon, uh, you are now in luck. At, well, you're not quite in luck yet because it's still a couple years away, but it's coming for you. Uh, Amazon is announcing their second region uh, in Canada West in the Calgary, uh, the Calgary region. So the second region in Canada. Uh, the first one, of course, was launched in 2016 in Ottawa or Toronto area. Uh, added a third availability zone last year, and now they're announcing that new region, Calgary, to Calgary to open in 2023 or early 2024, thanks, Amazon, with three availability zones, uh, and they'll be investing in renewable energy to help build out this region with two projects in Alberta underway, an 80-megawatt milli- solar farm and a 375-megawatt solar farm. And both these projects will contribute more than a million milli- uh, megawatts per hours to the power grid in 2022. This brings the total number of regions in, on AWS to nine, which, you know, I... Had a couple thoughts on this. Um, number one, you know, why do they all insist on announcing regions two years or three years in advance? Why not just wait till it's ready to go and then announce it? And uh, then number two, is Amazon behind on the region counts? Like, it seems like they have way less regions now comparatively to um, I mean, Oracle, we know, has 55 regions or something. Azure seems to be adding regions, although they're not all, all multi-AZ regions in Azure. And then GCP has been growing out quite a few regions as well.
2: Yeah, I, I wonder if some of those other, uh, I wonder if Amazon's edge locations almost equate to some regions for other providers based on capabilities. That's very
1: possible. But yeah, it's good to see in another region. I mean, I, there's a bunch of regions coming out in the Middle East. There's a bunch of regions coming in Asia. Uh, so, you yeah, know, good to see. That they're coming, but uh, you know, two years away is forever if you're waiting for compliance. <laughs> at least,
0: at least two years away. I mean, look at the look yeah. at the silicon shortage right now. I'd be amazed if they could actually build anything in that, in that time scale. Maybe that's why well, it's no. 2024 right now instead of uh, maybe. Actually, yeah. yeah. It
1: maybe, maybe 2024. Yeah, it's probably all about. I, I th- when I saw 2023 or 2024, I saw I said that's got to be supply chain related.
0: Yeah, I actually clicked on the, the press release to had to read. It. I, I normally just. Trust you that you know and the new region is being deployed or something. I actually clicked on the thing and read it since we had a few time a bit of time before the show it's It just reads like a, a an s e o uh like a troll article the whole the whole thing <laughs> like going into the number of number of potential jobs they're gonna add, the number of wonderful things oh, you know, yeah. it's like really and then and then the the last paragraph of the article it's just like buzzword after buzzword after buzzword it's like I don't know very very strange, and especially like you say three years ahead of time I mean, what, what possible value could there be for announcing that today yeah
1: well and, and the fact that they did a full a full cart press you know press release that they sent out with quotes and, and all mm-hmm. those things is one thing and then there's also a Jeff Barr blog post about it uh, which you know it is it is interesting uh, how much they are doing in these things but um, yeah it, it definitely feels like it's a buzzword thing like hey someone wants a Canada data center let's get an article out there that has as many keywords about a Canada data center yeah. as possible uh, to catch all those clicks but um yeah again 3 years out what do you you know why don't you just wait till it's ready and then let me know hey there's a new region today
2: yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it i mean you would i could imagine that uh if say the canadian government or large organizations were committing to a specific platform and nobody has the capabilities yet that they need they say hey we're going to go with uh with the company who's promising to have multi regions in 2 years like that's one of the one of the bid requirements today yeah, right. to win to win the primary workload. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very very government level yeah. <laughs> contracting model. No, that's about how fast uh, governments move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, about that about that speed. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move to Google. Uh, introducing the new GKE image streaming for fast application startup and auto scaling. Uh, this new image streaming feature is a feature that Google says is revolutionary. Uh, I mean, evolutionary, sure. <laughs> has the potential to drastically improve your application scale up time, allowing you to respond to increased user demand more rapidly and save money by provisioning less spare capacity. Uh, they achieve this by reducing the image pull time for your container from several minutes to a couple of seconds and allow your application to boot immediately while GKE streams the container data in parallel. Uh, they go on to tell you that traditionally, to run a container, the entire image must be downloaded onto the node, which is very problematic for Windows containers. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger the image, of course, the longer this takes, uh, despite the fact that most apps don't need every bit of data to start booting, and some data may never be used at all. Uh, an example of this could be an app that connects to an external database, which rarely requires any data from the container image, but it has to still boot, you know, download the entire Linux kernel, start the kernel, start the application, etc., uh, image streaming works by mounting the container data layer in a container D using a sophisticated network mount and backing it with multiple caching layers in the network, in memory, and on disk. Uh, your container will transform from uh, transition from image pull into running in a couple of seconds once they've the image streaming mount. Uh, image streaming performance varies, but the bigger the image, the more impressive the overall reduction of cold starts times becomes. And they are saying about 15 seconds for an image that took a couple of minutes before, which is, that's a pretty good savings. That is, especially
2: when you're doing, like, automated testing and you just want it. To... Test your stuff and you got to wait for the stuff to download before it starts running. I mean,
1: I mean, it's automated testing. The chances of your test being already streaming and ready to go is probably less likely. (laughs) I don't know if it's a good test use case, but uh, for production where you may need to scale quickly, I can see the value.
0: I mean, it's just lazy loading of data. People do that with, with VMs already, Amazon do that with AMIs already. You know, you provision a new volume or something. It doesn't. It doesn't populate the whole twenty gig of data into into the volume immediately. It does it on demand as you use it. It's nothing. It's definitely not revolutionary. Why aren't we Uh, just sending the changed bits?
1: Well, you you are if you are just publishing a new layer, uh, and it's already you know downloaded on the box. But you know the the challenge, like in ECS, for example, um, images expire after a certain time if they're not running. So you know if you have a workload that's very bursty. Uh, but you don't know what's going to start. It, you know it could take a while to re-download it if it's it's cleared the cache on ECS. And you can do a bunch of tricks to preload images onto servers, right? And you can you know force it to download these things and run them and shut them back down so you have the data and the image already available. But that's extra work. It's extra effort. You have to store it on disk even though you don't need it. Uh, where this solves all those problems until you actually need it. So I, I can see the cost savings benefits, but it it feels like a really a really small optimization when there's so many other big things people need. But, you know, I, I do appreciate it still.
0: Yeah, I wonder how that works with, with uh, content security, though. I mean, you obviously can't hash an image if you don't have the image on the host.
1: Well, I mean, you basically say you're pulling down from a known Google artifact repository, and so therefore you can you know, basically validate that the image is valid in the repository there. But yeah, you can't do full end-to-end... Yeah. Uh, validation because yeah you won't have the full image to get the uh, potentially the checksum done. Yeah, I maybe mean, makes
0: sense. Maybe totally makes sense. I I kind of wonder like if if your image is so big that you only need a tiny fraction of it to get up and booted then why is your image so big to begin with? Maybe maybe it's more about more about optimizing what goes into the containers to begin with and and less about
1: uh, well, I mean I, there's also people who run containers that run databases, right? That may need to be actually be big. And so this is advantageous to them in a failover scenario, too. I mean, like, yes, in an auto scaling scenario, you'd like to be able to spin up more containers fast. But in some other use cases, you maybe want to have the data available to you fast as well uh, in certain DR capabilities or certain failover options.
0: Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the Cloud Pub possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008. They are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod www.fogops.io/thecloudpod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered.
1: Well, the uh, Google Public Sector Summit was uh, this week as well, and, and there wasn't a lot to talk about there. To be perfectly fair, so we we skipped most of it. Uh, but uh, they do have a new Rad Lab solution to help spin up cloud projects quickly and compliantly. Uh, in the public sector, developing new technologies requires careful planning from budgeting to procurement to anticipating future software and hardware resources. Uh, but even with the best foresight, migrations can be difficult to manage without prior experience with cloud environments. Plus it's the government, so it just moves slow. To help address this lack of skills, uh, the needs for flexibility and collaboration requirements of public sector for new projects, Google is announcing Rad Lab, a Google Cloud-based sandbox environment to help technology research teams advance quickly from research and development to production. Urad Lab is a cloud-native research development and prototyping solution designed to accelerate the stand-up of cloud environments by encouraging experimentation with no risk to existing infrastructure, It has several key features, including an open-source environment that runs on the cloud for faster deployment with no hardware investment or vendor lock-in. It's built on Google Cloud tools that are compatible with regulatory requirements like FedRAMP, HIPAA, and GDPR, uh, common IT governance, logging, and access controls across all projects, and integration with analytics tools like BigQuery, Vertex, and pre-built notebook templates, uh, best practice operations guidance, all built in, and operate optional onboarding workshops for users conducted by Google Cloud specialists. Uh, and there's a quote here from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, as, uh, you know, basically saying here, At the USPTO, we have the privilege to serve American inventors and entrepreneurs, whether they work out of their garages at Silicon Valley startups or in multinational corporations and research and development laboratories. Cloud computing is a part of our drive to modernize and transform our agency's technology to serve that mission. RadLab allows our staff, from technical specialists to economists and business experts, to build, test, and validate new cloud solutions to meet critical agency needs. Uh, so, and I read this, and I, I think to myself, I, I could use this. Yeah. I don't, why does that have to be a government? Why does it have to be a government thing? Like, uh, you know, a predefined sandbox where a dev, a developer, could very rapidly just prototype something. I think there's a much bigger audience than just government for this.
0: I mean, I, I, love, I love how it only works with Google Cloud, but they say there's no vendor lock-in. But okay,
1: yeah, that was that was cute. Wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's that pretty idea. funny.
0: Is compliantly a word? I don't think I've ever heard that word before. Compliantly, that's that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> I have no idea. I just I read the press release. Yep, <laughs> made it an adverb.
0: It is now.
2: <laughs> it's good. We're it always now. we're always turning things into verbs nowadays. With eyes, I yeah. like it that we turn something into an adverb instead. Good job.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll, I'll take it. You're welcome. So you've, we've
0: advertised it. Yes. <laughs> nice. Oh God.
2: <laughs>
1: uh. Well, I, I can now give you a use case potentially for these rapid, uh, the, you know, this rapid image requirements. And that's it if you're using GKE and you have uh, spot instances involved, and potentially your spot instance just lost its, uh, you know, basically got shut down in 30 seconds, and now you need to reset up your app before you know, you miss your SLA. Uh, and so that's all available to you now, potentially, with the Spot Pods for GKE Autopilot, uh, which will help you save on all your fault-tolerant workloads. Uh, Autopilot has traditionally been a great for running stable, production-grade workloads thanks to its pod-level SLA, which was a first for GKE. You might, however, have other types of workloads that don't need this high-level of reliability, for example, fault-tolerant batch workloads or dev test clusters that can handle some disruption. And Spot Pods give you a convenient and cost-effective way to run these kinds of workloads on GKE Autopilot and not really worry about it. They just take care of all of the magic for you are stunned stunned.
2: (laughs) spot pods
1: i like the name spot pods i like
2: it i want to sponsor a race car i think that'd be a fun sponsor for a race car Uh, spot pods
1: yeah uh so i'm just looking at technical detail here autopilot automatically provisions nodes for you an autopilot adds kubernetes taints and tolerations so that your regular critical pods stay separated and don't land on the same nodes as spot pods all you need to do is request Spot Pods in your manifest and GKE will handle the risk and handling of this as well as the graceful shutdown of your container when it receives a SIG term from Spot Pods. So yeah, I, it's nice. Good way to save money. Definitely check it out if you're running GKE autopilot uh, and you are looking for some savings.
2: Yeah, I'd be curious to see if, people, if everyone was using Spot for everything, how often stuff would be up. And I bet it would be up most of the time.
1: Most likely because no one will be paying for a real, commit, real compute. So it's all about who, who bids higher yeah. at the end of the day. Well, I mean, if you guys are getting excited about GK Autopilot and Spot Pods, I'm a little worried about this next story. Because we're moving on to Azure. Uh, and we're going to talk about PowerShell. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Power, PowerShell 7.1 uh, is now supported in Azure Automation. Uh, This enables you to develop and execute runbooks for infrastructure and operational automation scenarios using PowerShell 7.1 as cloud jobs, as well as hybrid jobs across Azure and non-Azure machines. And they're also introducing a new uh, version selection for PowerShell, so you can run your 5.1 or 7.1 PowerShell code as you see fit as part of your runbook creation process.
2: That is so exciting. I can't wait. I've been playing with PowerShell
1: 7 now for a while, and I'm super excited. I every time I try PowerShell, I, I <laughs> <Oops>. bail out. <laughs> I get I get frustrated and I go back to other things. So uh, I don't like the, I don't like the syntax, ver, the verbiage that they use, like the way they the way they call functions. I just I uh, I don't like it. It was like we have to be different, so we're going to turn everything backwards. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of like uh, conjugating verbs in different languages. Like you know, you had to you had to give your ver, you know, all your words, uh, male and yeah. female pronouns. And so there, therefore, we now have to complicate everything we do with that versus, you know, just having the word. And so <laughs> that's what it sort of feels like with Azure uh, PowerShell is that you are conjugating verbs in weird ways uh, for no good reason.
0: Yeah. I think the, the only time I've used it was building that automation to deploy SQL Server with Terraform. And I did an awful lot of PowerShell. And the thing I like about it the most is that you just pipe objects from one command to the next and you can transform them along the way. I mean, apart from that, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> all I heard is you're the PowerShell expert now,
1: and we're going to defer all stories to you for PowerShell. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it.
0: So many so many breaking changes between versions. It. It's almost as bad as Python.
1: Yeah. It does break a lot uh, between the different versions, for sure. Kind of like Terraform from you know, all their pre-1.0 releases.
2: Speaking of which, how many <laughs> Python 2.7 uh, apps do you think are running in Lambda right now? python it's
1: got 2.7 be, like not 3 I, lots yeah. lots i mean even though they deprecate they're trying to deprecate <laughs> it, I, it just no one ever updates that stuff
2: never update it kind of, it's kind yeah. of scary actually i mean
1: the, i mean I, I think i was learning python when you know we were still in the middle of that python 2 versus python 3 and it was so it was so weird like it's just like why aren't we just cutting the you know pulling the bandaid off this and it's like oh you don't know, you don't know how much apps are built in 2.7 so mm-hmm.
0: i apparently don't it was A victim of its own success, though, because there are so many blog posts, there's so many tutorials, there's so much sample code out there, which is all 2.7. And and so it's... Taken such a long time to get rid of it and update it. And I mean, it's the problem with the internet in general. Like, the stuff just lingers around for an eternity.
1: I mean, I, I think it was partially the failure of uh, deciding to have a, an include called Future, where you could pull all the advantages of three to two. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good choice. So, if you want people to really upgrade to the new thing, like, don't give them the new things in the old thing. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it seemed like a bad call.
2: I think it's just complicated, too. Like, finding it all when it's all when in a serverless environment is completely different than finding all the servers running still running python 2.
0: Yeah. I will say that python uh, 310 looks really interesting it's got a bunch of new features which everyone should should uh, check out around data handling specifically which is really what people have been using python for for years is is uh, bioinformatics and yeah. uh, data science but now it's got some really neat features around matching different schemas of data and things like this it's that's really and finally we have a, a case statement which is kind of nice but performance is up new uh, awesome new features it's it's, it's neat
1: yeah, you know, Python's definitely been very popular with data scientists. I, you almost wonder if there's some point where it it forks into a more data sciencey thing versus just a scripting language, which would, you know, ops people typically use, or if they will continue to develop both uh, in the same the same ways. I, I can see where the needs of the data scientists someday, you know, deviate enough from what the you know everyone else wants out of Python that, that maybe they have to do something. But maybe I'm wrong.
2: On no, that. I think I think you're dead on because yeah, you know, we see a lot of customers uh, doing like, uh, you know. Writing analytics and, and jobs and stuff that are going to process like genetic information, and it's super easy to write in Python. There's all the support in Python; everything works great until you try to scale it up to, you know, genetic uh, size of the, the the total scale of the data you have to crunch. And now you want a compiled operating uh, compiled language, and you want performance, not ease. It's a they're they'd be interesting to see if they do uh, sort of cross that. Keep the best, Get the best of both worlds.
0: Performance is definitely on the roadmap. They're going to fix the whole global interpreter, global interpreter lock to fix uh, multi-threading. And then performance is, is the very next biggest thing that they're going to have to address because it's the, the biggest complaint right now. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: coming. It was interesting because uh, you know, Facebook basically gave uh, you know, the ability to take PHP code and change it into an executable. Uh, does that exist for Python? Does someone, does someone have a, a way to take Python code turn it into an executable already?
0: Well, I mean, yes, but it's it kind of yes, yes, but no. Not not in a way that makes it more efficient.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, just, just to obfuscate your code. Basically. Or a way that
0: makes it more portable. You can wrap yeah. it up oh, in, yeah. a, in a in a wrapper to make it look like an exe file, but yeah. it's still effectively just the Python interpreter.
1: Yeah, you're basically just packaging the Python binaries as part of your yeah. part of your code base. Yeah, that's a, that's a slightly yeah. different thing than what Facebook did with PHP.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 coming. I would think in the next couple of years. I think it's going to be comparable with other scripted languages or other languages for in terms of performance.
1: Uh, is Golang still you know really out there as heavy as it was? I mean I, I don't do a lot of coding day to day anymore, but you know I remember when I was, Golang was starting to become the new hotness and I feel like I haven't heard much about it in the last few years.
0: i I was starting to work with Golang or starting to learn Golang at least a few years ago and now I just got too busy and kind of went by the wayside. But I, I think I like dependency management. The Golang is a bit of a pain. And um, I'm kind of looking at Rust instead now as the a, as a next thing to move on to after Python.
1: Interesting. I just want to stick with
0: one. I just want to go back to Ruby
1: i I know. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if you were excited about Azure Automation support in PowerShell uh, for 7.1, I can also give you managed identities in Azure Automation this week. With the Azure Automation now supporting managed identities in the Azure Public, Azure Gov, and Azure China Cloud. Uh, System-assigned managed identities is supported for cloud as well as hybrid jobs, while user-assigned managed identities is supported only for the cloud jobs. Uh, Azure Automation hybrid jobs could be running on a hybrid runbook worker, running on Azure or non-Azure VM, and a managed entity for Azure AD allows runbook to easily access other Asia, Azure AD-protected resources. So, if you want your, your Azure Automation talk to a SQL database, there you go. You now have the capability on-prem and in the cloud. So, it's nice to have. All right. If that was too bold, we're going boring. I'm going to bring you chaos now. Yeah. I'm going to bring you chaos. <laughs> bring on the chaos. <laughs> Uh, Azure is announcing the preview of Azure Chaos Studio, which I had to say is an A++ for naming. Uh, A fully managed experimentation service to help you track, measure, and mitigate faults with controlled chaos engineering, systematically improving the resilience of your cloud applications. Uh, Azure is also releasing Azure Landing Zone accelerators, uh, which are Azure portal-based templates, allowing you to deploy and pre-configure environment implementation with a key component in place, such as manager groups and policies allowing you to more quickly get to things like uh, Chaos Studio. And they're also providing you some new uh, approaches for understanding your cloud economics uh, have been released as well, all part of this announcement. It's a little bit weird to kind of munch together, but hey, you know, it's Azure. That's what they do.
0: That's a little strange. I'm not quite sure they can take credit for systematically improving the resilience of my cloud applications. If all they're doing is introducing chaos, I I think it still requires the engineering team to actually... Figure out what the problems were and fix them. Well,
1: now they <laughs> now they give you a controlled way to know what's breaking. But I mean, production does that for you on Azure too, especially on the security side. The chaos security is pretty high right now on the Azure world.
2: It's just so <laughs> neat that you can programmatically do that now. Basically, programmatically uh, uh, simulate hardware or physical layer issues. Right, that we used to you'd never you'd never test before.
0: I, I do have to laugh that the, the, the new Power BI. Template backed by Excel. <laughs> I know.
2: I kind of, I kind of filtered that out of my brain. I didn't even see it. I couldn't read it. Uh,
0: helps you forecast your costs early. Excel. That's right. Excel solves everything.
1: Yeah. And then if it's, you know you can't fit it into Excel, you put it on Excel Online, which can fit bigger data sets. You know, why they haven't just renamed it to Excel, you know, eQuery or something like that to compete with BigQuery makes no sense. Mm-hmm. For listeners of the Cloud Pod, you know that I have no love for Microsoft Active Directory, which is why I'm excited to tell you about the leading cloud directory platform, JumpCloud. JumpCloud makes it easy to solve today's IT challenges by unifying device and user management through a single pane of glass, enabling you to securely manage your users and devices and perform common tasks like onboarding and offboarding remote workers. With JumpCloud, you no longer need to implement an on-premise Active Directory infrastructure or additional tooling to scope a user's access. And you can ensure that the user is coming from trusted devices and networks. Enabling JumpCloud's zero-trust solutions improves the security and compliance of your network, ensuring users have access only to the services they need, when they need them. To start your organization's move to a modern, secure hybrid work model, try JumpCloud for free today at cloud.jumpcloud.com slash the CloudPod. That's cloud.jumpcloud.com slash the CloudPod. Well, you know, if you are looking for the most cutting-edge way to connect to a server with RDP or SSH, Azure has you today with (laughs) an amazing technology called Azure Bastion. What's a Bastion? Uh, Bastion, oh, I know. (laughs) Bastion is a service that you deploy that lets you connect to a virtual machine using your browser and the Azure portal. The Azure Bastion service is a fully platform-managed PaaS service that you provision inside your virtual network and provide secure and seamless RDP and SSH connectivity to your virtual machines directly from Azure Portal over TLS. Uh, when you use a service, your boxes don't need public IP addresses, agents, or special client software. And a Bastion provides secure RDP and SSH connectivity to all of your VMs in the virtual networks in which it was provisioned. Uh, you can do this all directly from the Azure portal uh, and all really great. The one thing I thought was the most interesting though is that you can actually connect RDP to an SSH box or SSH to an RDP box, mm. and it will work, which is magic. Uh, it has them two SKUs, of course, basic and standard. No premium yet. <laughs> uh, basic gets you basically uh, the ability to connect to target VMs and peered virtual networks and access mm. access to Linux, private keys, and Azure Key Vault. And if you want to upgrade to the standard version, you get host scaling, custom inbound ports, connecting to Linux via the RD, uh, RDP, and connecting to Windows using SSH. So that's not free don't get that, uh, but if you pay a little more, you get that capability that I just told you was magic. So there you go.
0: Basic. So basic is less than standard. Standard is there. It's, oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> like a budget. Like a budget yeah. airline.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm going to give They'll this take one, your
1: bags onto the bastion. Yeah.
0: I'm going to
2: give this one an A plus <laughs> plus for naming
1: because I just want
0: to know what it is, man. It kind of seems like a uh, HTTPS based VPN tunnel.
1: I mean, it's basically doing the same thing Amazon did and the same thing Google did and. They're just copying everyone else. But at least they named it what it is yeah. versus SSM, systems manager, remote activity, exactly. or whatever the hell <laughs> AWS named it. Uh, so
0: No agents or special client software, though. That's interesting. So,
1: I mean, so the way they do it in, in just AWS on. also doesn't require that, but they do it through Nitro. So I assume that Azure has some Nitro ish like thing that allows them to connect to a box in that method.
0: Yeah, for the, for the serial port they do through Nitro, don't they? Yeah.
1: Uh, And then, finally, if you're using Azure Functions in your serverless world, it now supports, uh, the 4.0 version now supports .NET 6, which I didn't know we already got to .NET 6, by the way. (laughs) It also supports Node.js 14, Python 3.7 through 3.9, Java 8 and 11, and PowerShell 7, and other languages via custom handlers, which is sort of odd just to say it supports all languages, either with a custom handler or not. Uh, But, you know, hey, we'll make that that a distinction. Uh, Azure Functions 4.0 is available now in all regions on Linux. uh, And for Windows, the deployment is progressing and should be done by the time this episode drops uh, for you guys to listen to. So if you tried Windows, it it should work now. Uh, .NET 6 uh, supports both an in-process and uh, an isolated process option, which was introduced in .NET 5. The in-process option supports the full feature set available in .NET 3.1, including durable functions and rich binding options. The new isolated process option will provide an upgrade path for apps using this option in .NET 5 and initially will have the same features and limitations as .NET 5. So they did no improvements to that but you still get to upgrade. You're welcome because you're only going to patch .NET 6 from now on. Awesome. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So Azure Functions is still the best place to run .NET. Yeah, exactly. All right, Peter, take us to the lightning round.
2: Don't you want to first cover the Oracle news?
1: Uh, no oracle okay. news uh, they did not send a newsletter two weeks in a row so i have no stories because they killed their rss feeds and did not send a newsletter. okay so
2: i was just checking yeah
1: that's right i appreciate you checking on me because i i did fail us for six months where i missed all the <laughs> oracle news
2: that'd be great if we just had one 12-hour episode where you caught up on them all, all of
1: them. <laughs> i don't know that I could do it I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it
2: i would call in sick all right lightning round Amazon EC2 fleet and spot fleet now support automatic instance termination with capacity rebalancing.
1: I mean, isn't that the whole point of fleet? Like, you sold me on this idea of having a fleet of instances that should just handle things dying and and going away. But here you're announcing the thing I thought you already gave me, so now I'm confused.
0: That's so funny. I actually read that blog post. It's like, you can can terminate things that you think are going to get terminated before you want them to be terminated just in case you need something to run longer. But AWS will terminate it with 30 seconds notice anyway, so whatever. Too bad. So sad. Crazy.
2: Illusion <laughs> of yeah. control. AWS backup adds support for Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility and Neptune.
1: Oh yes, my quarterly reminder that there's a graph database on Amazon called Neptune that no one uses. Yeah.
0: I'm waiting for Neptune serverless. I keep asking. Feature requests, feature requests. Neptune serverless, please.
1: What are you going to do with it? Like, I know there's cool use cases of graph databases. I just, I don't know what they are or how I would use it at this moment.
0: I mean, I want to, I want to like map resources. Kind of, kind of how security tools do. Ah. Map relationships between different types of resources or map relationships between DNS records and other things. And I don't know, it's just be nice to have it serverless because it's kind of pricey otherwise. But anyway, the... uh, AWS restore service would be pretty handy anytime now. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah,
1: for all those backups you got. Yeah.
0: I think we actually had one, like one of those cold
2: leads where you never happens in the consulting industry. Uh, and that's what they wanted. They wanted mm-hmm. Neptune serverless. I couldn't help with yeah. that. But what I can help with is letting you know that Amazon EC2 now supports access to Red Hat's knowledge base,
1: which is a feature. Demanded by the support team, so people stop asking them for Red Hat. help. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only reason this exists <laughs> now. That now, so Amazon support tickets now suddenly get less helpful with Red Hat. They're like, just go, go read the knowledge base. Here you go. Here's your access.
0: Yeah, sure we'll just get a core.com anyway. Whatever. <laughs> uh, AWS batch
2: introduces fair share scheduling, which they uh, got inspired. From the Democratic Party's tax
1: policies. <laughs> See, I thought they were just willing to pay their fair share all the way through. Yes.
0: So. I'm waiting for the timeshare. Ooh, we, where you know you can only run your, you can only run your job once every <laughs> six months. You have to pay <laughs> twice as much as it's worth. It's going to be the
1: <laughs> the time the time limited safe batch process. Yeah. <laughs> we only open between the hours of five and seven p.m. Uh, any other, other time you try to rob us from the batch, we can't. We can't help you. Sorry.
2: Well, AWS announces a new capability to switch license types for Windows Server and SQL Server applications on Amazon EC2.
1: Someone's trying to get fancy with the audit compliance for their licensing and like, oh, quick, count over here and then switch the licensing type and then count over here and then it's zero.
2: <sighs> oh my
0: goodness, do you think that, that's what's <laughs> going on?
1: I don't know, it seems, it seems highly likely.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, we don't want to have to redeploy all our SQL servers, we just want to switch the license type. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then wait for Microsoft to catch us. Well,
0: <laughs> 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 While
2: Amazon's SageMaker Pipelines now supports retry policies and resume.
1: Yeah, okay, sure. I mean, data science jobs are supposed to be, you know, ephemeral and be able to kill and stop, but, you know, the tooling didn't support it. So, you know, all these blog articles we were writing for the last six months about how you can stop and start jobs so easily, apparently were BS. That's all I've learned. Now fully realized.
2: Well, Amazon DevOps Guru now supports multi-account insight aggregation with AWS organizations.
1: I'm looking forward to the new Amazon DevOps Fortune Teller, which now does all of your work for you. Ooh. Across your multi-account. And then I can
2: finally stop working.
0: That'd be great. Yep. Okay, Awesome.
2: Good job, good job. That was pretty fun. I mean, we only had two.
0: I'm lightning round. I'm lightning round guru. Yes, it was. Yeah. It
2: was quite challenging. That was,
1: um, that was Rob Martin. He was the lightning round guru for sure. <laughs> when he was here, he would he would be destroying all of us. Like it would, if he was on the show, it would just be like forty five to Rob, <laughs> zero to the rest of us.
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. I think uh, I think I'm going to go with uh,
1: with AWS Restore.
0: Ah, uh, nice. okay,
1: nice. All right, I'll mark you down as 13 points, Jonathan. Be careful, yeah. You gotta get our points, you <laughs> get out an unlucky number. Uh, well, things are coming up, which the biggest thing is, of course, reinvent November 29th through December 3rd in Las Vegas. Uh, again, that is out there, and they sent out data, data details yesterday about vaccination requirements and uploading your vaccination validations to the portal. Uh, so they can validate that you are properly vaccinated uh, to go to the conference. Uh, so if you are attending, uh, do keep an eye out for that email as you'll need to do that before you arrive, I believe, uh, on site. Uh, so that's definitely going to be there. They do are still going to require masking, uh, even if you're vaccinated, uh, which makes sense just based on the number of people that are going to be there, allegedly, uh, and definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, Meetup as a service is something I mentioned a couple of shows now. Uh, basically, this is ability for you to go sign up on a Google form and get uh, introduced to a stranger who's also in the cloud space, who uh, you, you can have coffee with or lunch or dinner or whatever you want to do. It's a great way to meet new people and build out your network and the community, as uh, along with all the other parties and all the other things. Uh, I believe Reinvent Parties has been updated. Uh, reinventparties.com, of course, is where you can find all of the information for vendor parties and events uh, available out there in Las Vegas if you're going uh, and like to go to Top Golf, You can pretty much go every night of the week if you'd like to. Uh, You can go to any of the restaurants or bars you want to. Just look for the right event, and you can get in. Uh, And if you're on an invite list, and you just walk by and you say, I want to go there, just walk up and say your name is Bob, and you'll get right in. And you know Bob, you know your name is Bob, and you know Jim, the the sales guy. And they'll be like, oh yeah, Jim, he's in back. Like, they don't know who you are. Just act like you're you're supposed to be there, they'll let you right in.
2: I tell you, (laughs) just looking at the sign-up form for that, and I think there's a huge miss by Amazon here. Like, they should have asked you all the weird questions they ask you on your uh, college dorm entry to match you with, like, someone who you're compatible with.
0: <laughs> it's like a dating app. Cloud yeah. It's it
2: sh- <laughs> like your favorite <laughs> ADBS service. Mm-hmm. And-
1: I, should, I should clarify that. This meetup as a service is not being run by Amazon.
2: Oh. This is a
1: volunteer who has con- who said, I want to do this. So so we, we can't really say... Okay, it's, it's not Amazon's server. call. just he that. just it's not Amazon's fault. He's just trying to make it happen, uh, which I think is awesome. And so uh, we're still supporting that. But yeah, it's not an Amazon but, thing. It's for next time, key whoever
2: that wonderful volunteer is, maybe let's add some super fun questions and then match people based on their answers to the questions.
1: I mean, I, I'm still curious how he's going to get the data out of the Google Sheet form and then into some way to randomize people together. So I, I'm...
0: You know. no, code. <laughs> no code. No code, it's with a no code. It's with, it's with a no code app. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how he's going to do
2: it. I can tell you how he's not going to do it. <laughs> not,
1: not with code. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, that is another fantastic week in the cloud. We are here next week for predictions. Uh, so do stay tuned for that. Uh, we will be taking the week of Thanksgiving off because uh, we want to go enjoy Thanksgiving. And then we're heading into reInvent. Uh, where we will figure out if we're doing a live show or not. Uh, we are not all going to be in Vegas, uh, so some of us will be there, some of us won't. Uh, but we will be, have stickers. We will have all the goodies. Uh, if you see us uh, around with our shirts on, or with you know, you just see us in general, uh, and you like a sticker, please uh, grab one of us and say, "Hey, I listened to that pod," and we will give you a sticker uh, for your listenership, and we really appreciate you. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Have a great night. Thanks, guys.
2: Yeah, good night. I will probably be, have, I would love to hand out stickers, but I'll probably have a Foghorn shirt on. So look for the Foghorn shirts too.
1: Yes, yes. Sorry, that's true. You will be pimping Foghorn and it will yeah. have that shirt. <laughs> but uh, Ryan and I will most likely have Foghorn or have uh, te- uh clap Pod shirts. So there you go. All right. See you next week. Good night. Good night. And that is the Week in the Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Jump Cloud. Check out our website, The Home of the Cloud Pod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag TheCloudPod.